Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. An aerial show of force from the Chinese military. The largest incursion ever inside Taiwan's air defense zone. 56 planes, nearly 150 flights since Chinese National Day Friday. China views Taiwan as a breakaway province, and Chinese President Xi Jinping has pledged to bring the island under Chinese Communist Party control. He said time and time again, we're going to resolve this issue with Taiwan. If it has to be by force, it will be by force, and we're not going to pass this problem on to the next generation. Yeah, so China's been flying uh, warplanes into Taiwan's air defense space. In the last couple of days, as you heard there, over 100 military aircraft have flown near Taiwan. That's between Friday and Sunday, including 80 fighter jets, four bombers, five anti-sub planes, and four early warning aircraft. That seems fairly provocative. The question is, what is China up to? We have a number of questions, and Mike Lyons, military analyst, joins us. Mike served with various military organizations, both the United States and Europe, throughout his career. Mike, welcome. How are you? Hey, guys. So great to be back with you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. So I just have a very basic question. What's an air defense space? I assume that's different than their national airspace. Right. It's 12 miles outside the border of uh, where, where the land hits. And so each country has a um, an area through international law that says they own space 12 miles outside of where the land starts. And so uh, when you get outside, you know, inside of that, you're allowed to defend your land space. Um, and so missile systems have got to at least go to that place. And so now once the Chinese violate that, they're in theory violating the sovereignty of that country, and in this case, Taiwan. 
So it's very much like putting your finger an inch from somebody's nose. You haven't touched them, but the incursion is absolutely intentional. Right, and this is different than the, the kind of the classic Cold War ones where Russia would do this to the United States. They would, you know, kind of come out just to the the edge of our uh, of our uh, that space there, and we would see it was designed to see how fast we would alert and and de- deploy aircraft to respond. So we looked at that as just them testing us to see how we would respond here. This is different because you know when you send 150 planes into this area, you're not you can't respond. There's there's you can only do so much. This is about this is a threat. There's no question about that. This is clearly a, a threat to to Taiwan and. The Chinese states, in response to our naval exercises that are taking place in Okinawa, that's a couple of you know island zones up to the north. But again, uh, what's happening here is something we just really haven't seen the Chinese do in a long time. Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand this. So it sounds, it seems to me, or sounds to me like, so they got it. They had enough uh, badass aircraft flying close enough to Taiwan that if they'd have wanted to do something, they could have done it, and it would have been too late for any us or anybody to stop it. Oh, no question. I mean, we don't have that kind of capability on the island itself. I mean, Taiwan has some basic air defense platforms, uh, surface-to-air missile systems, but nothing that could take out what they put over there. I mean, if the those the, the H-6 bombers, for example, they're nuclear-capable, you know, they open their, their doors, drop bombs on Taiwan, it's uh, it's over. I mean, there's just, you know, and, and the Chinese are going to do things like use a nuclear attack nuke first. You know, they're going to use their hypersonic missile systems or cruise missile systems. Um, what, we've, what we're learning from the Chinese is that they've learned from us from Desert Storm that in order to win these wars, you have to you know, punch hard first the first time, make it so bloody that the, the enemy doesn't want to respond here. I, I, I'm just so surprised it's so quick, it's happening so fast, um, in that you know, the Chinese have traditionally played the long game. We, we expect them, for example, they want to have this, let's say, blue water world-class Navy by 2040. You know, that's still 20 years from now. They're working towards that. It takes basically a generation to do that. They have the technology. They have the equipment. Um, to me, it looks like they're speeding up that timeline, and this is one good example of it. So what are they after by doing something this egregious? What's next? Well, it's all about projecting power in the South China Sea and how they anticipate this would go, um, how they want to be the penultimate power there in that part of the world. Um, they're you know, claiming the responsibility of you know, the United States, Australia, Japan, South Korea, if, if you know that's kind of the ally system right now that's going to have to push back against the Chinese. Talking to another analyst over the weekend, though, we were saying, okay, so let's we're game this out. What what does war with China look like? I know you you guys and I have talked about that and where it would take place, and we're, we're coming to realize that it likely takes place very similar to what we saw in the Second World War in this island hopping campaign, as the Chinese look to gain and hold certain of these islands that are close to Taiwan. Um, would eventually they would try to, uh, unfortunately, use some kind of amphibious operation to take over the island itself. Now, they'd likely destroy it. There'd be a lot of death and destruction. Um, and I think the Chinese are threatening the, our allies on ourselves, saying, don't even think of doing anything because the price you're going to pay will be an aircraft carrier. We're going to sink an aircraft carrier. We're going to sink two aircraft carriers. In fact, if you've got two there in the region right now, we've got a couple there. The U.S., uh, I think the Vincent's there and the Ronald Reagan's there right now. Couple destroyers protecting it as well. Um, they're going to go right after that, and they're not going to hesitate. It's, it's, I don't know how likely it is, but if they wanted to, um, they could change the, the 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 balance of power on the planet like in a day, right? I mean, they attack Taiwan yeah. if we don't react, 
And Japan says, well, the United States didn't come to their defense, so I guess we're kind of out of luck. And then just a whole bunch of people decide, okay, the United States is not the policeman of the world or going to fix everything everywhere, so we need to figure out how to deal with China. And things would change, like, really, really fast, wouldn't they? Right. So look at what Afghanistan taught our allies, that when we don't put America first, when we decide, ah, you know what, we're not going to really defend you guys, we're out of here. Look what happens. And, and versus if you're an ally of the Chinese, you know, they, they like the fact that they put China first because that means they know they're always going to back them up. Well, that's that's what's happening right now. Like, that's what this test is to them because they absolutely can. And again, this is a country that would use a low level nuclear capable weapon in, in the beginning of the fight. It would escalate immediately right to that. Now, does it get to, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles? I'm not sure. We would do that. We would trade city for city or anything like that. But but they're going to do whatever they can to project this level of power, given what's you know given what their plan is, their Belt and Road uh, suspenders and, and that that, uh, that initiative that's taking place throughout throughout Asia. You know they want to be the world dominant power. This is their century, and this is how they think they have to do it. And um, we're 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 sitting there saying, okay, you know, are they ten feet tall? What what do they look like? You know. They're, they're not, they might be 10 feet tall, but they're six feet and they're growing. So we're going to have to deal with this, um, I think, sooner than later. Mike Lyons, military analyst on the line. Uh, Mike, you mentioned our aircraft carriers as a uh, friend and relative of various naval and, and marine personnel and, and somebody who's been proud of our amazing aircraft carriers since WW2. Yeah. Can we defend them anymore? Well, that's a great question, and given their hypersonic missile capability, uh, over 2,500 um, surface-to-land missiles that they have that they built on the, in the South China Sea, I, I don't know. It's a, you know, they're, they're going to change how warfare goes. Um, I, I just was, I'm on a conference right now at the Modern War Institute, and just heard a very telling comment made by a guy that said, "You know, we've got we've been a 100% wrong in predicting the next fight. Well, you know, the next fight we know is going to involve cyber. We ne- we know the next fight is going to involve technology, but, but I I think the next fight involves this swarm technology where drones and the like are just going to be you know robots are being thrown at our our systems that are manned by people. And you know you can't defend against 2,000 things coming at you, no matter what how great the aircraft carrier is, no matter how many destroyers you have around it to protect it." So I think that's what the Chinese are going to do, and, and we've got to figure out a way to, to shut that down, maybe EMP, other other different weapon systems that, that, quite frankly, we're behind in right now that the Chinese have the lead in. Hypersonic missiles and drone clouds? Good Lord, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Well, yeah, I, I, maybe I, I guess this is what you know, kind of we do as the analyst side. We're always looking at what the capabilities are, and we've right. got to make sure that we have the capability to defend, and we also recognize when there's a weakness to kind of to kind of run it through. Um, the, the Chinese could make a tremendous mistake if they don't get it right the first time. Here's what the Chinese don't have: whether we like it or not, the U.S. has been you know bloodied. We have got experienced military. You know, we've been to war the past 20 years, so we kind of know how to do this. The Chinese haven't shot at anybody since 1979. So the question is, if they do get in some kind of land battle or some big conflict, um, are they going to have the guts to pull the trigger? And mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that remains to be seen. So how much does that matter, that we have you know recent actual military experience and they don't? Me personally, I think it matters a lot. Um, again, because when you... Uh, it's a function of how well they're going to do once the shooting starts. Like, like my, what I found in combat was once our soldiers saw the confidence that they had in their equipment and the fact that it was no match, it created a sense of invincibility around our units. And, and I'm sure the pilots feel the same way, and I know the sailors feel the same way. That doesn't matter. We're going to be fine in this situation. The Chinese have yet to prove that out, whether or not their their investment is going to 
take do that for them from a cultural perspective, and they recognize the culture is an important part of this. Because you know, again, the PLA, the whole the whole army thing is still kind of new for them. They're, they've invested money in their officers. The, the 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 leader of China, for example, doesn't even trust a lot of his general officers because a lot of that has been bought and paid. So they have the traditional problems of those those armies that kind of get you know brought up from the from the the, the root cause, but now they've got to go actually fight. The question is whether they'll actually fight. Well, you know, what what do you fight for? I know I know when we are in our units, you know, we fight for each other. But the question is whether those Chinese PLA and army units will do the same for each other well and i've been told by somebody uh, who studies this thing and whose opinion i trust that just culturally and historically we have a tradition of uh, you know the intent of your commander they tell you what we're trying to accomplish then if um if it turns out we need to improvise and do something different or in a different way our people are empowered to do that as opposed to a lot of Asian cultures, including Japan, which has struggled with this. It's very, very much top down and you dare not dishonor, uh, dishonor your commander. Yeah, I'm not sure that same level of dishonor is in the Chinese military as they've tried to fight against that. But again, we won't know until the bullets start flying, I guess, on some level. We definitely saw that in, in the Japanese military, especially during World War II and, and, and how they felt. Um, I think that the, they recognize culture as an issue. If you look at their advertisements, if you look at what they're trying to do, they're, they're trying to power down um, and focus on NCOs, the non-commissioned officers that actually run the battles there. Uh, but but it takes it takes generation, and they're going to have to get you know into something. So I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the Chinese deploy certain units into certain places in the world to try to get some combat experience as proxy forces to to their units so they can kind of come back and tell the story and recognize what their shortcomings are going to be and what they're going to have to overcome if they get into if we get into this great land power mass battle that could take place uh, on those islands within the South China Sea. Wow, so many interesting points. Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike, we truly appreciate it. Guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you can't great get, stuff. You can't oh. get that perspective from anybody else. Oh, so good. The, the, the last bit about China, look for them to send their forces as proxies to various regions of the world to get a little combat experience. Well, now I know what to look for. So over 100 military ag- aircraft flew into ta- Taiwan space. 80 fighter jets, four bombers, five anti-sub planes, four early warning aircraft. Man, that is provocative. And that thing about, you know, we've got experience and they don't, all the sports metaphors that that exist there, you know, they've got experience. The new upstarts, can they handle the pressure? Well, sometimes you can't, and the people with experience win. But sometimes the young upstarts who have never been there, they win. Right. Um, If they have enough talent slash firepower in that place, yeah. Yeah, man, it just, I know I've been talking about this for years, but I just, I just feel like there's so much of our culture, so much of our population doesn't, doesn't think this is possible. There's no way great powers are going to go to war. The same thing they thought in 1914 before August. Real wars are in history. Books. Right, right. There's no way China would actually use a, a technical nuke to take Taiwan. They could do that this afternoon and change world history forever. And we got a giant decision to make on whether or not we fight back or just say, okay, you have it. We're not going to blow up half the world over this. And then all of a sudden, Japan's got to decide, okay, I guess we got to deal with China because they control all the commerce in the ocean over here now. The United States doesn't. We don't. China does. And if we want to even be a country and have anything, oil, food, anything, we got to deal with China because they're now the big dog over here. And Australia might go along. Who knows? I mean, things actually listen to a podcast about this yesterday. Uh, but uh, things things to topple dominoes topple very quickly if the world decides, oh, so the United States is not going to Taiwan. Oh, OK. 
Right. Well, and I have a feeling our babbling great-grandpa uh, president would just take it to the U.N. and hold a debate. Whew. That's some interesting stuff. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and logic. Love and logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With love and logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give love and logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love and logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com. There are choices that can change your life. Like the choice to start routine colorectal cancer screening at age 45. It's one of the most common cancers for women and men, and it doesn't always have symptoms. But there's good news. Routine screening can catch colorectal cancer early and even prevent it. And there's even better news. You have screening options. Make the choice to put your health first. Talk to your doctor about your screening options or visit cdc.gov slash screen for life for more information. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today.